that was me. Welcome to WordServe. Don't need that anyway. <laughs> it's good to see you all here. This is going swimmingly so far. I don't know. Uh, but God is in it, and it's all going to be good. I'm excited to start a new sermon series today. It is called Broken for Us. It is a preparation for the season of Lent. As we approach Easter, uh, oftentimes we skip to the good part. Everybody wants to get to Easter. Everybody wants to get to that point where, oh, Jesus is risen, life is good, and we forget everything that happened up until then and, and everything that he's done for us. So that's what I want to work through the next few weeks as we approach Easter. This broken for us, uh, it all starts with a C because, you know, preachers have to alliterate. So uh, today we're talking about covenant. You can see all the rest of those, and I hope that you will stay tuned for many more adventures to follow. But I want to start with a question this morning, WordServe. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? Yeah, usually we apply that to people or situations that we don't truly understand. And I want to uh, apply that to a situation that was uh, formative in my life. Um, I had an instructor pilot through Air Force instru instructor, uh, Air Force pilot training, I should say. Uh, and this guy was the last six months of training, right? So like you're, you're almost there, but you're not. You're almost a pilot, but you're not. And this guy reminded us of that every day. So you get assigned an instructor pilot. He has three people that sit at his desk, and it's all part of this hierarchy, right? But he is your primary guy that walks you through and has high expectations. I got assigned to a guy named Lieutenant Fees. Lieutenant Fees had a reputation. He was no-nonsense, very knowledgeable, very blunt, and had no sense of humor. You can imagine how that went over with me. <laughs> See, because when I hear somebody that has, oh, he has no sense of humor, oh, it's on. Yeah, I'm going to make this guy laugh. I never made him laugh. In fact, sometimes he made me cry. But, <laughs> but this guy, I mean, let me just give you a couple of examples. And, and this isn't actually him, all right? This isn't him. But it's the idea that somebody is watching your every move, everything you say, everything you do, every flip you switch, every thought you have, they're watching it and they're grading it. And when you have lieutenant fees, you get it straight, you get it blunt, you get it right there, like it happens, right? So it, it was the most nerve-wracking year of my life, probably the most stressful year of my life. And I'm gonna just give you a couple of examples. So you get to shoot a checklist, right? And it's got binders on it, and it fits on your leg, and you flip through it, and you do all the things that you need to do, right? Well, I'm getting ready for my very first flight in this new the T-38. That was a phase of, of flying that we're in. And I pull out my checklist, and Lieutenant Fee says, hey, one of your uh, binders, the, the page is like broken on that. You need to fix that. I said, yes, sir, I'll get to it right, right after my flight. And he goes, let me see that. He grabs my thing, and he rips the page out <laughs> completely. He goes, no, you need to fix it now. Like, what a jerk, right? I'm getting ready for my first flight. I'm all nervous, and he just ripped this page out of my thing. I got to go. He goes, get some speed tape, punch holes through it. Speed tape, really strong gorilla tape, right? Punch some holes through it, and, and now you can go fly. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's a jerk, right? The other thing that he did that, that I noticed later is you have check rides throughout your, your progress. You you fly with the flight, you get your instructors, but then you go and you get a check ride to make sure that you're making progress. Well, it's a very stressful event, as you can imagine. There are a few of them throughout the program. But what I notice about Lieutenant Fee students, there were only three of us, wasn't hard to track, right? Everybody else took a check ride. If they passed, they headed right over to the O Club and celebrated with all their buddies. 
but not Lieutenant Fee's students. No, no, no. You came back and you sat at his desk, and he asked you everything about your evaluation because you do a flying portion and then you do a ground evaluation, right? And it was almost like getting graded all over again. It's like, dude, my buddies are over at the O Club. We're waiting to celebrate. He's grilling me for another hour after this stressful day of a check ride. What a jerk, right? Never got this guy to smile, never cracked a smile, never, the veneer was perfect, never cracked it until I graduated. The day that I pinned on wings, and they knew at this point I was coming back, I was going to be in the same flying unit as Lieutenant Fees. He came up to me at graduation and put his arm around me and took a picture with me. I'm like, who is this guy? What's the matter with him? He, he's seen Jesus or something? What, what's the transformation? But as I, as I became a part of the squadron and I, I watched him at work, it was genius. I was seeing what he was doing. See that checklist page that he ripped out? If one of those things gets loose and gets sucked into a jet engine, it can do thousands of dollars of damage. Not only that, if it doesn't make it out of the cockpit, if you lose it somewhere in the cockpit, they ground that airplane until they find that thing because they don't want it interfering with any flight controls. So he knew exactly what he was doing when he made me fix it right now. The checklist or the, the check ride thing, here's what I learned. As I watched over time, Lieutenant Fee's students excelled at check rides. Do you know why? Because every time when they would come back, he would pull us in and say, tell me everything they ask you, and he would ask all the questions. Because while the flying portion of the check ride was set, the ground evaluation was not, and it depended on the check pilot themselves. And the check pilots occasionally rolled out. You know, it's, you, people, new people come in. So what he was doing is he was gathering intel on the current check pilots and what they asked, so that the next time, he, as he flew with us, he was asking all the questions that we would be asked on the check ride. Genius. Oh, yeah, as I look at this guy, and, and then I realize, of course, you know, after graduation, okay, now, now I'm a squadron mate. I'm not a student anymore. There's not this relationship anymore. And he was doing that to remain professional. And I thought, no, he's, you know, he's actually not a jerk. He, he actually cares. And that was an epiphany for me, because as I looked at him, he was just gruff and bristly and uh, not the warm and fuzzy guy that you would think, but he cared deeply. And his students did well. We all did well. You can't judge a book by its cover. Why do I raise that up? Because some of you may have the same thing going on. You can't always judge a book by its cover. And if you have one of those friends and you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about, right? But if you don't have one of those friends that seems all prickly and, you know, like it, it might be you. <laughs> you. You might suffer from... Resting ugly face, <laughs> or wrestling unapproachable face. <laughs> Sorry, not, not ugly. <laughs> I gotta get, get my eyesight. <laughs> resting unapproachable face. There we go. There, and I find it ironic that the guy in the picture is actually a priest. But anyway, so so sometimes the aura that we put off is not who we really are, and I, I bring that up because a lot of times I feel that way about God. We don't really know how to take God. You can't judge a book by its cover. We, we hear that God is love, but then God does something. You're like, really? What a jerk. 
Why didn't he help me here? Why didn't he stop this? Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he? You can fill in your own blank. So I hear that God is love, but then I see all these other things, and I'm confused. So this morning, we're going to talk about how God is love and so much more. And it all starts with a story about a boat. Just sit right back, and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. <laughs> how many people know what I'm talking about? Okay, you just swiped your old people card. Good. <laughs> all right, so the setting here. It's Noah. You know the story probably very well. But just before we get to the part of the ark, there's some very extreme language in Genesis that talks about the people who have been created by God, and there is all evil all the time. There is no other thing. There is violence. God even gets to the point where he regrets creating humanity, and he says, you know what? We're going to start over. And so he commands Noah to build the ark. You know the story. It begins to rain. And all the animals come on board, except that third monkey that we mentioned two weeks ago. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> and and you, you get it here. So the, the flood happens, and then after that, that's where I want to pick up today in Genesis 9. God talks to Noah, and he says this very peculiar thing. And there's going to be one word that is mentioned nine times in this short passage. I wonder if you can pick up on it. Now, for those of you who are, uh, are not familiar, I list the question that I want you to think about, but I'm just going to read the text that's listed there. So if you want to follow along, I'm in Genesis chapter 9 on your app, on your Bible, on whatever. This is what God says after the flood. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of a covenant between me and earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Did you catch the word that came up nine times? It's on the screen. It's covenant right? God says covenant. I will make a covenant. He uses very extreme language. There is no doubt about what God is going to do. Never again. He says that a few times. Never again will I use a flood to destroy the earth. There can be no doubt that he means it. But what does it cost him? And this is where I have a problem with God because as I see God as love and then I see what he does here and he, just, he wipes out humanity except for Noah. Is God love? Or is God justice? And the answer is yes. He's both. 
And that's something that we have to remember as we go on. God is not just one thing. God is many things. But as you peel back the layers of a God of justice, you will see that God's true motive is love. And it's love that drives the covenant. What I want to do today is walk through four covenants that you may or may not be so familiar with and show you how God is moving and, and what it does when he says, I'm going to make a covenant for you. The first this rainbow. Now, granted, it means something different today, but the original sign was a sign of the covenant that I will never again destroy the earth from a flood. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that's nice. Rainbows, unicorns. Oh, it's... Yeah. <laughs> that's not what it meant. All right, if you go back to the time and back to that era, this was very, very symbolic because oftentimes deities of that time were seen with bows, and they would fire from the sky, and they would take out their enemies. But there was uh, another way that deities would appear sometimes. This is a really hard picture to see, and I apologize. It's the best that I could do. But what you see here is, uh, this is an Assyrian deity on the backside here, and there's a king. Now, the king is standing with two arrows in his hand and a bow. But what do you notice about the bow? It's facing backwards. I don't know if you're familiar with archery, but you generally put the notch and the arrow and the string, and then you pull back, and then you fire the arrow. So this bow is pointed backwards. Now, why is that? This is deep symbology. In this era, many times these reliefs were, were posted, and many times the deities of other cultures would be pictured with a bow pointed backwards. It was a symbol of peace. It was a symbol of promise that I will not make war on you. I will turn my bow. It would be the equivalent of me today handing you a pair of scissors. If, I'm handing, if I've got the handle and I'm pointing them at you, that's not so friendly. What I would do is I would take the blade and I would hand you the handle. Same thing, right? Except a lot more damaging, right? So this is a backwards bow that symbolizes peace. I will not make war against you. Let's look at that rainbow one more time. Which way is the bow pointing? Towards God. Bow is backwards towards humanity. God's promise, I will never make war. I will never destroy the earth again. And my symbol is the bow. In other words, in Hebrew, make no differentiation between rainbow and bow. So this is exactly what God means. He's turned the bow with a promise. I will not make war on you in this way ever again. That takes some courage. And as I look at God, I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Let's walk through some of these covenants now. This is Noah. He destroys most of humanity, except for Noah and his family. They rest. He says, I will never do that again. Be fruitful and multiply. Those words are actually in there again. But here's what I have to ask. What's changed? You, you tried this experiment once before. You had Adam and Eve. You had the garden. You had all this wonderful stuff. You told them to go be fruitful and multiply, and they screwed it up. What's different? I'll tell you what's different. God is different. Because he says, not only will I not destroy it, but there will be an accounting for the evil that has been done. Every human bloodshed will be accounted for. That's a little bit different. Let's fast forward now to the next covenant that we're going to talk about. Abraham, 
You may be familiar with Abraham. He's the guy who God said, hey, I need you to pick up and move from where you are to a land that I will show you, and I'm going to give you so many descendants, they'll be like the stars in the sky. You won't even be able to count them. And I'm going to give you a land, and your people are going to be a light to the world. And Abraham, not knowing how far he's going or where he's going, says, okay, and he goes. Now, this is the line through which God is going to establish his chosen people, his light to the world. But within just a few centuries, they find themselves as slaves to Egypt, not occupying any land whatsoever. Oops. I don't think that quite worked out. And this idea of covenant implies that there is some partnership. God says, I will do this, but in return, then you will do this. And the you doing this is us screwing it up. And what happens here is they kind of forgot about God. They, they kind of forgot, oh, this, this wonderful thing. They, they started looking at other cultures. They started drifting from what he called them to be. And it wasn't the first time, certainly wasn't going to be the last time, because you, recommend, you, you uh, recognize this guy, right? Everybody knows who that is. That's Charlton Heston, <laughs> a.k.a. Moses, and the Ten Commandments. So, yeah, okay, they get into the slavery. Well, God sends Moses as a deliverer, and, and he calls them out, and he calls them up to the mountain, and he gives them these ten laws. All, the, all that I want you to do is these ten commandments. If you can do this, then you will be my people, I will be your God, and you will be a light to all the nations. These ten commandments, that's all I'm asking of you. And while Moses, here's the irony, don't let this be wasted. While Moses is on the mountain getting those ten commandments, what are the people doing? They're building a golden calf. Man, this is already a bad experiment. This is not going well. And, and sure enough, as they come down with the, the Ten Commandments, the people have a difficult time following that. And they fall away from that. They fall into syncretism and all kinds of other things. That's where you blend several things together. In fact, one of uh, Jesus' often argued the most with the people who were so entrenched in the letter of the law that they forgot the spirit of the law. These Ten Commandments, this covenant that God made, if you do this, then, well, the people couldn't do it. And by the way, we still can't do it. So then we go to David, King David. Yeah, they finally got a king. Great. Well, you know what? There's a promise made that through this king's lineage, he will reign forever and ever. That Handel's Messiah, he shall reign for ever and ever. Now, now, how inspired would you be if the song went like this? And he shall reign for about a generation. No, you don't write songs like that, right? Nobody does that. So the promise was that he would be of the line of David. He would be a king and he would rule forever. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you look back at the King David's biography here, King David gave birth to what king? Solomon. Solomon gave birth to who was next? Exactly. Nobody knows. <laughs> and here's why. His name was Rehoboam. His name was Rehoboam, and nobody knows because within a generation, David's grandson, the kingdom split. Split in two. And there was a, I, there's a whole series of why that happened. But basically, David to Solomon to Rehoboam to split. What happened to reign forever and ever? You see how the people's uh, hopes were dashed. They thought, man, I thought this line of David thing was going to last forever. That's what the prophets said. That's what God said through the prophets. So what's going on? 
Well, let me tell you what's going on. God is keeping his side of the covenant, and humans are not. What's the lesson that we learn here? God's faithful, and we are not. Now, that can be bad news for you. Hopefully, it's not a surprise to anyone. But this is the hard, cold truth. God is faithful, and we are not. You can't always judge a book by its cover because as you look at what God does, it may seem harsh, it might seem insensitive, it might seem judgmental, but at the essence of it, there's a core of love, a desire for relationship with us, whether we deserve it or not. And by the way, we don't really deserve it. So, enter Jesus. Here's another book that you can't always judge by the cover. The reason I say that is at one point in my life, I kind of had this image of Jesus as like the Woodstocky guy, like, hey, dudes, all peace and love. <laughs> you know? Okay, nobody knows what. Woodstock, if you Google that, guys, uh, you'll see what that's all about. He was just this soft guy, kind of anything went. And as I got to know Jesus more and more, I said, no, this is not the Jesus that I thought it was. You can't judge a book by a cover. This Jesus is a warrior. Not a warrior in the traditional sense that he's not a conquering king, but he's a warrior of the spirit. He's a warrior of the heart. He does battle in places that we can't even see, powers and principalities, things far more hazardous than what we see with our eyes. This Jesus is a warrior. And I want to prove it to you because this Jesus comes in and says in the past where, where God said, I will make a covenant and I will not fail you, and we completely fail him every time. Jesus steps into our role, fully God, fully human, and fulfills every one of these covenants. Let's go back to our, our grid here, and let's work our way backwards. David, he's supposed to reign forever. Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, you will see that Jesus is of the line of David. And I quote Matthew 1.1, 1, 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Ah, right there it is. Here it comes. Jesus is doing what we failed to do. Now, reigning forever might mean something different than it looked for David. And as people found out with Jesus' life, it does look different. It's not the kingdom. It's not the palace. It's the kingdom of the heart. It's the Holy Spirit being transported throughout the land. And he will reign forever. I could quote other places in this book where it says, uh, and one of my favorites is in Revelation where they're wringing their hands because it's like, oh, there's a seal that needs to be broken, but nobody's worthy. Nobody can break the seal. And then the lamb appears. And just as we sang a few moments ago, he alone is worthy. And who is it that reigns forever and ever? That lamb that son of David, son of Abraham. Let's go back to uh, Moses. Jesus came and was the only one who lived the law perfectly. The Bible says he was without sin. That means that he actually accomplished what God asked us to do. Now, why is that important? Because he was without sin. And then he took the penalty. He was made sin. He who was without sin was made sin and went to the cross on behalf of all of us. 
Why? Because we failed and he did not. And because of what he did on the cross, we are forgiven. It's as far as the east is from the, uh, the west, our sins are. That's what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. We couldn't do it. Abraham, he says your descendants will be as many as the stars. You, you won't be able to count them. Well, if you stick in a family line, there's going to be a limit to that. You can only produce so many people. And God forbid, family reunions, you probably take each other out, right? After you get to a certain point, there's only so many people you can call family. But I, I'm, I'm kind of recalling a verse that says something about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, Abraham's family is not enough. God is after the world. And how does he accomplish it? He gave his son. Jesus fulfills what we could not and then my favorite of all is this Noah, Noah, Noahic covenant. I just made that up, I think. Yeah. The covenant of Noah. Where God says there will be justice. There will be an accounting for all this evil. We didn't know it at the time, but it's my son, Jesus Christ. He knew it. We didn't. And how do I know this? Well, if you look at this upside-down bow... That bow was pointed backwards, right? Bow was pointed backwards. And Isaiah 53, as the prophets begin to talk about this new covenant that was going to be made, they were talking about Jesus Christ. Here's what Isaiah 53 says about Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. What does an arrow do to a person? It pierces them. To the bow that God turned around, there was still, that, that was the act of love. The bow turned around was the act of love, but there was still justice. And as that arrow was loosed, where did it go? Right into our Savior. Right into his Son. This is a warrior. This isn't Woodstock, peace, and love, and happiness, all is good guy. This is a warrior. And, and I bring this up because you can't always judge a book by its cover. I would encourage you in this Lenten season to contemplate on exactly what Jesus has done for us, this warrior on our behalf. Where God was always faithful and we were not, Jesus steps in and makes it possible for us to enjoy that relationship that was intended for us from the beginning. Our failures kept us from it. Jesus restores that. One very practical way that you can do that this Lenten season is to start a gratitude journal. Now, I just put a picture up there of a random title. You can find these on Amazon or you can get a piece of paper and every day write down these three things. Read a scripture. Read about Jesus. Write down at least one thing that you're grateful for. And here's the difference. Because we are word serve, we don't just take the word and think about it. We take the word and we put it into action. I will show my gratitude by. Do this every day for the 40 days of Lent. And I guarantee you're going to see a difference. How do I know this? 
because there was this guy, this guy named Jesus. You can't judge a book by its cover. We can't judge each other by our covers. And what we think we know about Jesus, I hope, has been enlightened today. I hope has been expanded today to understand exactly what he's done for us so that we enter this Lenten season in an attitude of gratitude. Will you pray with me, please? God saying thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, seems inadequate. Not understanding completely what he's done for us, and we probably never will. But God, we're grateful that despite our failures, you remain constant. And above and beyond that, you sent your son so that our half of that bargain could be fulfilled, so that we could be restored, so that we could inherit life eternal and experience the relationship that we were created for in the garden. God, as this story continues to unfold, I pray that our gratitude would drive us, drive us closer to Jesus, drive us to want to understand and love him more, drive us to tell others about him, whether it's through our words, through our deeds, through our very lifestyle. Drive us to the cross with an understanding of what happened there, but not stop there. Drive us to the empty tomb so that we understand this story is never over, but you will reign forever and ever. Drive us to the empty tomb and help us to understand that that same resurrection power is available to us right now. God, there is nothing that holds us back except us. Get us out of the way. Let your spirit do its work. Let us see Jesus clearly for who he is. And let us never judge a book by its cover. In Jesus' name, amen.